0: I'm going to begin this morning with a story. We'll see how it works. It's a story about a rabbit and barking dogs. It begins in a monastery with an abbot. An abbot is a person who often would be the head of a monastery, head of the monks. It goes like this. a long... A long time ago, in a small valley far away, there was a monastery who was led by a wise abbot. One afternoon, a young monk came to the abbot and he asked him, So, why is it that some men come to our community, stay for a while, do all the things that we do, but then leave? And yet others will come to our community, do all the things that we do, then stay for the rest of their lives. In other words, why do some stay and others leave? After thinking for a few moments, the abbot responded to the young monk's question by telling him this story. Not too long ago, I was sitting outside enjoying the afternoon sun, as is often the case, my dog was curled up at my feet. As the two of us sat there in silence, a rabbit scurriedly suddenly appeared out of nowhere and just as quickly scurried off, but not before my dog saw it, and he took up the chase. Pretty soon, my dog was out of sight, and all I could hear was the sound of his barking. Not long after that, other dogs in the area, hearing my dogs barking, also took up the chase, and it wasn't long before our valley was filled with the sound of many dogs barking. Eventually, after a while, all of the dogs returned to their homes. That is, except for my dog. My dog did not return. Well, clearly the abbot was finished talking. The novice wasn't satisfied. He said, I asked you an important question, and you tell me a story about dogs? And the abbot said to the novice, after hearing my story, you should have asked me this question. Why did all the other dogs come back and not only my dogs stay away? Well, the novice wasn't happy with the way this conversation was going, but he still needed an answer. All right, Abbot, the novice said. Please tell me, why did all of the other dogs come back and only your dogs stay away? The abbot smiled, and he answered. Well, the answer is quite simple. Only my dog actually saw the rabbit. Now, you're thinking, what does that mean? It has nothing to do with the song, Who Let the Dogs Out? I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to let you sit with that for the rest of the afternoon, but here's my take on it. I've seen that story many times. In our spiritual journey, we may chase the sound of the other dogs barking and not the rabbit. In other words, we go after what we think we're supposed to go after, we go after where all the noise is, where all the hubbub is. We go after where all the action is. We go after where all the bells and whistles are. And sometimes we miss what we're really intended to see. Sometimes we miss what we're really intended to focus on. Now, I share that story, partly because I think it could go in many different directions. And if you want to call me up later this afternoon and said, let me tell you what it means for me, I'll gladly take your call. But when I think of that story in terms of the text that was read this morning, I think about it this way. It could be easy, at least for me, to go after the barking dogs in this text rather than actually keep my eyes on what I need to pay attention to. And there is a lot to grab our attention. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry, is fully aware of what he's going to soon be facing as he heads towards Jerusalem. So because of that, he gathers those of his inner circle around him. He has set his heart on his call. He resolves to move forward with this mission, and he's confirming this call, and he needs his closest friends and followers around him to give him strength and encouragement. So the setting finds us at the top of a very high mountain. And on the top of this mountain, Jesus is transformed right in front of Peter, James, and John, and his face shines like the sun, and his clothes become as white as light. Now this, for me, feels like the thing that would be easy for me to focus on, would be easy for me to look at and say, what is with this white light? What is with all this shiny stuff? All the And everyone who knows me knows I get attracted to shiny stuff. I can't keep my attention on one thing long enough before something else grabs it. And what may seem to us as a rather out-of-the-ordinary experience would have sounded very familiar to the early Jewish Christians as they heard and read Matthew's Gospel. They would have connected this experience of Jesus with the experience recorded in Exodus 34 where Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand. And the scripture reads that the skin of his face, Moses' face, shone brightly because he had been talking with God. Now Moses had been in the very presence of God, and God's presence was visible and evident through the brightness and shining of Moses' face. God's glory was revealed all over Moses, and it showed. And now this same glory is visible on Jesus. His face is shining, and his clothes are as white as light, and Jesus has been in the very presence of God, and God's presence and glory is visible and evident both on Jesus' And through Jesus. So maybe what we're being invited to think about, at least in this moment, is this. If you want to see the glory of God manifested, you look at Jesus. If you want to understand the glory of God, you look at Jesus. If you want to see where God's glory shows up in human and tangible form, you look at Jesus. This is why in John 1.14 we read these words, The Word became flesh and made His home among us, and we have seen His glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the one in whom we see the glory of God. In other words, don't take your eye off the rabbit, because there's a lot of other things going on in this story. The main focus is Jesus. Because you see, we have Moses and Elijah, who complete this scene, they appear with Jesus and they appear together, which may seem random, but in reality it isn't. Because Moses and Elijah, they represent nothing less than this giving of the law and the prophets. That be Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. All of this culmination of history, all this culmination of their spiritual journey, all the culmination of the Jewish people and and their faith in God comes converging in this one place on top of this mountain. And Jesus and Moses and, and Elisha, they are all together in this one spot. So what is going on here? here. But it's in that moment that we hear the important words that I think are central to the focus of this text. A voice from the cloud or God which says this, quote, this is my son in whom I dearly love. I am very well pleased with him. And then these three words, listen to him. And there it is. Listen to him don't get too distracted by the barking dog. This is the part we should be paying attention to. The focus, if you will, is that we can get so caught up in the glory and the mountaintop experience that we miss this defining moment and invitation of God, the one that God gives, listen to Him. To Jesus, the one in whom the glory of God resides. Yes, there is Moses, the lawgiver. There is the one who brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain. And yes, there is Elijah, the prophet, who speaks forth the word of God and says, Thus saith the Lord. But now the glory of God. And that of Moses and Elijah, all are present in one person, that being Jesus. And to use our own language as friends, Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, Jesus is king, and Jesus is shepherd. Jesus is the one who didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, as in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is the one who says to all of humanity, thus saith the Lord. And He says it mainly in the way He lived. He is the prophet within us, and He is the priest within us. And he is the one who gives us that gracious law. So let's not miss what Peter wants to do initially. What does Peter want to do? He wants to build three tabernacles. Now, in the version I have, it says he wants to build three shrines. He wanted to mark that one spot. He wanted to build something to construct something. But it's within the context of that possibility that the voice from the cloud says, this is my son, listen to him. Now, this is the part that I needed to get. This is the part that I want to offer you. And quite honestly, I'm just going to read it word for word. Because this is what spoke to me last night. Yes, last night. It was after 9 o'clock. Sometimes I get a start late, a late start. But last night I wrote this down. And this was the shift for me as I listened to this passage. The tendency is to enshrine Jesus in a building or a creed, or a belief system, or an ideology, or my own assumptions and biases, maybe even a past spiritual experience, or even my own theological understandings. But God doesn't want us building shrines to capture Jesus in that moment and hold on to Him forever. God invites us to listen to Him. To be in an ongoing, dynamic, living relationship in which we open up our hearts And lives to the voice of the living Christ who speaks continually to our condition and the condition of the world. The one who is a gracious law within our hearts and a prophetic voice to our ongoing lives. In other words, listen to Him. Not just the pundits, not just the preachers, not just the dominant cultural narratives or the voices around you that tempt you to meet their expectations. Listen to Him. I think that is the power of this passage, at least as it speaks to me, that we are being invited to listen to the one in which everything converges because he is now the one who speaks to our hearts. He is the one who brings the glory of God into our own lives. There's a movement that's very important to the story after this. They came down from the mountain and right back into the crowds. The suffering, the hurting, the broken, right to a demon-possessed boy, right back into life. And I think that's so key because it is it is right to call it a movement because this is what we are. We're not a movement. We're not building monuments to past traditions. We're not museums, but we are a living movement in which Jesus speaks grace and truth into our lives. And the temptation is to take these moments of awe, these moments of transformation, and hang on to them and enshrine them. But the movement of Jesus is back into life. The movement of Jesus is to speak into our everyday life, in our everyday moments, the words of God as it comes to us, as it guides us, as it speaks to us, thus saith the Lord, and to to live every day and to listen, to listen to listen to him. Now, where do we listen to him? Well, we listen to him where you work and when you interact with your colleagues. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And I think this is what speaks to us. It's not just out of thin air. It's not just something ethereal. Sometimes it's very practical. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, We looked at the words where even Jesus says, you may not murder people, but if you call them idiot or fools, then you're already doing damage to your own heart and to their heart as well. Well, sometimes when I'm working with people, sometimes when I'm interacting with people and I'm listening to Jesus and I want to call them an idiot or a fool or a jerk, I hear Jesus say, that's not good for you or for them. Listen to him in your marriage and your family relationships. And by the way, I will tell you this. I think each of us knows the voice of Jesus in a real way. What I mean by that, there's like this language that we each share with him that we know when it's him speaking. And I know, I know, especially in my marriage, when I'm not showing up in the way I need to show up. I hear Jesus speak. Now, you may think, is Jesus concerned about even that? Well, I think so. Absolutely. This is the places in which he speaks, and we listen. I'm not being gracious. I'm not being appreciative. I'm not being present. We listen to him in our conflicts with others and our estranged relationships. We listen to him in our monthly meeting for business and our committee meetings. For Quakers, it's always this. It's a meeting for worship with a concern for business. That's how we understand it. It's always worship first and business second, we listen to him in the lives of those we serve at Open Door, Leslie's house, hand-to-hand pantry, and many other ways. We listen to him in the pain and the brokenness and violence of our own community. We listen to him in our personal shame, in our sadness, in our anxiousness, in our in our hurt and our fears. We listen to him in our confusion and our grieving and our disappointments. And sometimes we listen to him in the lives of the lost, the hurting, the broken, the confused and even the angry. If you haven't caught on yet, I think the key words are this. Listen to him. This past week, I shared a little bit about this, I think in an email, in case you didn't read it or forgot it, but this past week I was sitting in the office Monday morning and just came across my news feed, social media, Facebook, a request from local business owner here in town, she actually runs Southern Roots Restaurant. I've gotten to know Lisa Holly a little bit through her work with some of the folks in the various uh, housing areas here in High Point and the food that she provides. And she had right there on Facebook, she had need rent for someone, $213, good friend. If we don't have it by tomorrow, she'll get evicted. Well, just in that moment, trying to practice, listen to him, I just felt this very easy peaceful feeling to say, we got this. That's all I could say is, we got this. There's no other fancy way, profound way to put it, because we do. We have money in our benevolence fund, which you generously donate. And by the way, this is not a pitch for the benevolence fund. I'm just telling you where it comes from. And so I emailed her back. I I said, on social network, I said, we got this, Lisa. Let's set it up. Within 30 minutes, we had it arranged for me to drive to the manager's office at one of the housing uh, developments. Uh, I would meet her there, would give the money to the manager. I would just wanted to make sure that when I got there, she had to ride the bus there. When I make sure what I got there, that the, that they would take the check, first of all, and second, that it was everything she needed. So I sat in the office for a few minutes, and she took care of her business, and I said, well, do you need a ride back? She said, yeah. I said, okay. So took her back to, she lives in um, Daniel Brooks Apartments in High Point. I took her back, and as we were driving back, only about five minutes away, I said, so, what brought you down to North Carolina? Well, she says, I just needed to get away from my family. I said, why did you choose North Carolina? She says, I don't know. It was just someplace different. She says, quite frankly, she says, any place was better than the dysfunction and drama in my family. And I think she came from the Midwest. And then she began to tell me she's a single mom. She began to tell me that she has a disabled son, who often can go to school, often he can't go to school. All of a sudden, about five minutes, she showed me the picture of her son. I learned her name, and finally took her to her apartment. As we drove into Daniel Brooks' apartment, she showed me where she lived. And as we turned the corner, she just happened to say rather offhandedly, she says, yeah, she says, just right here, somebody got shot the other day and died. I said, really? I said, what was the issue? She says, I just think it was a family matter. And she opened up the door, and she thanked me and got out, and she headed into her apartment. And I just sat there for a few moments, and then I realized this place sounds familiar. So I pick up my phone, and I call Linda. I said, this is where you go a lot of times during the week, isn't it? She says, yeah. I said, you have worked all this time in this job, and I have never once entered your world. You enter my world Probably more than you want to, but you enter my world every Sunday, every week. I have never once entered your world. And I was astounded by the awareness of what she does, astounded by the awareness of what one young mother simply could just say matter-of-factly. I say matter-of-factly in our neighborhood, hey, did you know so-and-so moved? Go get the mail. Did you know that it's recycling day? Her matter-of-fact was, yeah, somebody got shot here and killed. Now, I say all this to say, what does this mean to do to listen to him? That would have never unfolded for me if I had not listened in that moment. Just a simple sense of being drawn to that request. And we got this. And it led for me, at least... I'm not giving you any particular commentary on life on high point. I'm not giving you any particular commentary about people's lives. That's not the point. So don't miss the point here. The point is my awareness was made greater simply because I listened. And I had a complete shift in me in ways that I had not had prior to that moment. I think when we listen, when we listen to him... We are made aware in ways that often we were not aware. A shift can happen. Greater understanding. Greater insight. A greater love. A greater compassion. Sometimes greater confidence and strength. In your bulletin is a quote from Jeannie Miley, and she comments on this. Transfiguration passage, and I'll just read this and then we'll take some more time for listening. She writes this, on the mountaintop, Jesus chose to let the full splendor of who he was shine. And appropriately, the three friends were dazzled. Peter wanted to build tabernacles or shrines and stay on the mountain with Jesus. Aren't we all like Peter? We want to seize a holy moment and capture it in a building to keep it for ourselves. But those experiences are portable, and they need to be taken back down into the valleys and highways of our lives to bless others and light their way. Maybe we have become so concerned about being dazzled that we miss that voice that speaks to us in the very depths of our being. I often like to say this to folks when they ask me about Quakers. Well, what can you tell me about Quakers? I say, well, here, I can tell you this. We take the pomp out of any circumstance, as Elton I' like to say. Nothing fancy, no light shows, no laser lights, no smoke, nothing. It's just is. Nothing here to dazzle you. And I like it that way. I think oftentimes the less we're dazzled, the more we have nothing left but that voice of Jesus that speaks to us in the very depths of our being. Friends, listen to him. Listen to him as your friend. Listen to him as your counselor. Listen to him as your prophet, as your priest, as your shepherd. Listen to him in whatever way you can, but listen to him because he knows your condition better than anyone else knows your condition.